Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. God is so good. You can be seated this morning. We're glad you're here and we appreciate everyone uh, coming out this morning. We're going to have a great time. I believe the Lord is going to minister in this house and we welcome all of you. In fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say you're in the right place at the right time right now. I believe that today. I don't believe it's a coincidence you're here and so we appreciate you being here. Uh, yesterday we, we, I did a wedding uh, for uh, uh, Champ and Nicole. They got married. So I don't think they'll be here today. No, yeah, it's a, it was a great, great, great wedding. And uh, believe it or not, it, they, they were their very first kiss for the first time at the wedding. I'm going, not, not very many people do that. And uh, he, he made it a point. I'm not going to kiss her to the day we get married. And so it was really a special time. And he just couldn't stop kissing her after that. So <laughs> you'll be playing a kissing, I told him, believe me. But uh, we're in a, uh, a series here called We Are Reach. And uh, what we're talking about is what our church values are. Uh, a number of months ago, we talked about personal values that we have as individuals, respect, honesty, responsibility. But there are values that describe our church. And uh, it's different than culture. Culture is what you see on the outside. You know, when you come into a church, it is a friendly church. Do people smile? Do people welcome you? Is it a vibrant church? That's the culture of the church. But the values is what the church is good at what do they value what do they put first and there's many things we could say uh, when it comes to values but we narrowed it down uh, to seven values that our church is about and we've been talking about them since the beginning of the year and so I'm going to pray and uh, we'll just dive right into this message ask the Lord to help us as we do that so father we thank you today I thank you for every person that's in this place Wherever they're at spiritually, wherever they're at emotionally, mentally, physically right now, I pray that the Word of God would minister to their lives. I pray, God, they'll leave different than they walked in. And God, your Word is so relevant. Even in 2023, it applies to our lives. So I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit as I declare your Word that the people would hear the voice behind the voice. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. And so again, we're talking about the values of our church. And last week, I'm not going to go through each one of them, but last week we talked about honor, and we're calling it 360. And basically, we, in our church, one of the values that we have is we honor God, uh, we honor others, and basically we honor up, down, down. And all around. And so we talked about that you can give honor to anyone. Uh, we also, a few weeks ago, talked about reaching out. That we're a church that reaches people. We believe in reaching people, restoring people, and releasing people into their God-given destiny. And then our first value that we talked about in the beginning of the year is change is our that's our buddy right there. We, we hang out with change. Uh, it's our friend. And so many times people don't like change, but you don't realize change is good for you. And I'm going to go over each one as we go through the, uh, the next month or so. But today we're going to talk about grace and truth. 
And believe it or not, this is one of my favorite values because I believe all of us need to have grace and truth. And I'm going to define it for you, what grace and truth is. It, 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 it Basically, we defined it this way. Honest conversations are necessary to build strong community. Complete freedom is experienced when we communicate lovingly, honestly, and graciously. So in a nutshell, we believe in showing compassion. We believe in showing mercy to people. But we also believe in speaking the truth because the truth sets people free. And so we believe in this. So I'm going to open up with this story here and really demonstrates this in Jesus' life. He demonstrates this in John chapter 8, verse number 2. Many of you may be familiar with this story, but I'm going to just kind of open up with it because I think it really gives us a great illustration of the heart of Jesus. And so that Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people, notice there's a lot of people there that are gathered around him from different backgrounds, different places, and he sat down and began to teach them. The teachers of the law, these religious people were there, and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. So can you imagine Jesus is teaching, he's ministering the word of God, and as he's doing that, these religious people bring in this woman who's been caught in adultery and basically throw her in front of him and they made her stand before the group. So here is this woman been caught in sin. They made her stand there and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. It says, in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Now, I want us to pause here for a moment, and I want us to think about all that's going on here. Because somehow, these few religious people, these Pharisees, found this woman who was caught or who was in adultery. I mean, these self-righteous, legalistic guys apparently came upon a couple, because how many know it takes two to commit adultery? And so here they find this woman and a man, and again, it wasn't a time where they had videos, so I don't know how they saw them. I don't know if we had some peeping toms, or I don't know what was going on, but somehow they caught this woman and this man, but evidently, the man's not around. They only bring the woman, and they burst into the scene where Jesus is at, and they throw this woman. And again, I noticed that the guy's not involved. I noticed they didn't bring the guy. I think there's a double standard going on here. But they bring this woman, and they throw her before Jesus. Many scholars believe, listen to me, they believe it was a setup. They believe that, uh, many scholars believe because the way they see this, the man wasn't there. They believe they must have had this man seduce this woman. It could have been prearranged that they let this man go free so that they can bring this woman in front of Jesus. And yes, according to the law, she was guilty. She was a sinner. Uh, What she did was wrong. She was caught in the very act of adultery, and it's very likely that she may not have been close. 
Maybe she grabbed the blanket as they pulled her off, but she dragged and humiliated in public. It's beyond description. She may have been completely naked. We don't know, but without a shadow of a doubt, think it with me today. This is the darkest moment, the most shame-filled moment and humiliating moment of this woman. She's caught in adultery. She dragged possibly naked, possibly in front of this public gathering. She's basically labeled as a sinner. She's separated from anyone to protect her. She is judged by these men that bring her. She is placed before the king of kings, the holy man. And this is how John chapter 8 opens up with this woman that's been caught in adultery. And they ask Jesus this question or they make this statement to Jesus. They said, should we stone her like basically like the law says? The law says we're supposed to stone this woman. John chapter 8 verse 5, it said, in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. And he said, what now, what do you say, Jesus? What do you say? They want to know what Jesus' answer is. Are we going to stone her? And then verse 6 reveals the motive Because it said they were using this question. They were using this question as the trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. I want to give you the context of what's going on here. They wanted to catch Jesus in a trap. They wanted to get him to contradict his words. Listen to me. What they were saying was true. This woman was caught in adultery. It was the sin. And according to the law of Moses, if you were caught in adultery, you were to get stoned. Not recreationally, okay? You were throw rocks at you. You go, hey, that's me. No, no. They were throwing stones, basically being stoned to death. In fact, believe it or not, in the Middle East, even till today, women are still stoned for adultery. It's crazy to think this, but this was what was going on here. And they were trying to trap him. Listen to me, they were trying to get Jesus to contradict himself. They were trying to scrutinize or discredit his words. Because if he said, go ahead and stone her to death, he would lose his reputation as being loving, merciful, and kind. So they wanted to get him. It's kind of what we call a catch-22. How many have ever heard that? In other words, there's no way out. If you answer yes, you're, 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 you're in a mess. If you answer no, you're in a mess. So again, if he said no, you know, if he said no, don't stone her, then he would be saying it's okay to commit adultery. Then he would be saying it's okay to break the law of Moses. So they were trying to catch him in a contradiction to discredit him in front of all the people because all of these people were there to hear Jesus and the religious people were mad and upset and they were trying to get Jesus to contradict himself. So Jesus is in a predicament. He's in a place where if you say yes, you're in trouble. If you say no, you're in trouble. And on top of that, listen to me what's going on here. On top of that, capital punishment can only be carried out by approval by the Roman government. So if Jesus would have said stone her, he had no right to carry out capital punishment. So they would have got him in legal trouble. 
They would have got him in trouble with the government. So there was a lot of things going on here. Again, I want to just kind of reiterate what I'm saying. If he would have said it's okay to stone her or, or not to stone her, it, he's saying it's okay to break the Ten Commandments. If he would have said, go ahead and stone her, then basically he was going again his own compassion and mercy. And so they believe they got Jesus in a trap. So they think. So they think. I love Jesus. I love when you start asking Jesus questions because Jesus turns the table on you. He has the way of turning things around. See, they thought they were talking to just any teacher, but how many know Jesus was not just any teacher? And so they're bringing these questions, or they're bringing this question to Jesus. And I want you to think about this. These men were trying to trap Jesus. They had an evil plan, an evil strategy. These men didn't care about this woman. They were simply using this woman as the bait to trap Jesus. They were humiliating this woman who they were trying to act like they were trying to protect the the public or to honor the law of God. But in fact, it was all a sham. You ever been in a situation where it was all a sham? They're just trying to trap you, trying to get you, trying to degrade you. And this is exactly what was happening here. They were degrading this woman at the attempt to ruin Jesus' reputation. This was a plan of attack to destroy this woman's life and to trap Jesus' ministry and get him tied up in a contradiction. They wanted all of this to happen. And so now Jesus is faced with a decision. I don't know if you ever heard this, but years ago, I think it was back in the 80s, and actually back in the 90s, it, they, they used to have what they called WWJD. What would Jesus do? How many remember that? And it was all about what would Jesus do if he was faced with the situation? So we're at this place right now, WWJD. What would Jesus do? What is he going to do now? How is he going to answer in this encounter? What's going to happen? And I, I want to bring something out here because Jesus in this situation brings out a different message than we're used to hearing. And what I mean by that, when Jesus came, he said, I, I, I've come to, to bring the kingdom of God. That was his message. He was talking about God's kingdom being on earth. He talked about a message of repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is in hand. He talked about a message of salvation. I come to seek and save that which is lost. He came to bring the gospel. Gospel means good news if you didn't know that. But there's a message in this story that is often overlooked. That is often you don't see it right off. Often when you read this story, you don't see it, but it's displayed greatly in this story. And I'm going to give you context to what I'm saying. And it's what we're talking about today when we go back to grace and truth. Grace and truth is demonstrated in this story. And you may say, what is grace and truth about? Let me read this scripture to you in John chapter 1, describing who Jesus is. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. Who is the word? We've seen his glory. The glory of the one, his only son. Jesus is the word. Who came from the father. And what did he do? He said, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. 
It says, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given what? Through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So Jesus brought out grace and truth. When we think of Jesus, I want you to think grace and truth. Now, what does that mean, Pastor? I'm going to show you in just a moment because when Jesus comes on the scene, it's portrayed, he's portraying grace and truth. Let me just tell you something. A lot of us, when we think of Jesus, everyone has a different uh, depiction of Jesus. We all have a different character of Jesus or a portrait of who Jesus is. We can talk to someone and they say, man, Jesus is my provider. Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my peace. Jesus is my victory. Jesus is my promise. And all of those things are true. Jesus is all of that. But when John describes Jesus in the opening of the scripture, he skips all of that and he goes right to the point. And he said, when Jesus came on the scene, he is full of grace and truth. In other words, today, if I were to tell you that if you've had an encounter with Jesus, you had an encounter with grace and truth. That's what you've had an encounter with today. And so believe it or not, there's all kinds of friction. Listen to me. There's all kinds of stress between grace and and true. I'm going to show you why grace and truth, in a lot of ways, uh, they kind of uh, fight each other or they verse each other. It almost seems like a contradiction when we talk about grace and truth, but I'm going to show you how, in fact, they complement one another. In fact, there's not all this friction like you think. How many know? <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sorry. I got to drink some water now. I may need another tea, so help me out here. So there's so much friction going on in our nation today. How many would agree with that? We've got political friction. We've got social friction going on right now. We've got economic friction. We've got some identity friction going on, some racial friction. And so there's sometimes there's friction when it comes to describing who Jesus is. When we begin to ask people, who is Jesus to you, there's lots of friction and lots of different depictions of what people say Jesus is. Some people would say, hey, well, when I say Jesus, what do you think? Well, Jesus is love. He's full of love. And how many know he is full of love? But he's not just full of love. There's another side of Jesus. Am I right? Jesus is also full of commitment. He said, if you follow me, you have to deny yourself. He said, believe it or not, when it comes to commitment, he said, you have to love me above your mom, dad, your brother, your sister, your tia, your tia concha, everybody else. You got to put me first. When we think of Jesus again, we could think of him as the healer. We can think of Jesus as the preacher of repentance. In fact, when you begin to read all four of the gospels, we're talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. This is the story of Jesus from different angles. All of them have a different angle when it talks about who Jesus is. 
Now you may say, why did each one have a different angle? It would be like if there was a uh, if there was an accident on the in, in the intersection here. Let's pray there's not, but if there is one. And there was a camera on each corner. Each one would have a different view of that accident. Each one would have a different angle of how that accident took place. And so the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us a different angle of who Jesus is. None of them is wrong. They're just giving you a different angle of who Jesus is. And I'll just give you an illustration of this. The book of Matthew, it's more, uh, I'll describe it more like a movie. Can I describe it like a movie? Uh, uh, Matthew is more like a documentary movie. More like a, he's, he's writing to a Jewish audience, and he begins to talk about the uh, ancestry of Jesus. He goes through the whole Old Testament, so it's kind of a documentary angle of who Jesus is. The book of Luke, as some of you guys probably like this one more, more like a sci-fi movie. How many like sci-fi movies? The reason why Luke, uh, I would say he's a sci-fi, because he's actually a doctor. I don't know if you guys knew that. And he explains more of the miracles of Jesus. And he talks about all the miracles because he knows these are miracles that something medicine cannot do. The book of Mark is more like an action movie. That's where all you guys come in, right here, this action movie. And it's all about Jesus in action. Believe it or not, this is where Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. This is where Jesus is rebuking his disciples. This is where he's mad because they won't bring the children to him. I read this book. I don't know. I'll I'll just say the title of it. It's called Jesus Mean and Wild. The book of Mark. If you read the book of Mark... Man, you see Jesus in action. He's mad at people. He's upset at people. He, he, he's rebuking them for their lack of faith. And again, that's one angle, am I right? And then you got John. That's a, that's a, that's a chick flick movie right there. That's, that's a romance movie. John talks about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. John said, man, I'm the disciple. He called himself, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved. Come on. He loved everybody. But he goes, I'm, the, I'm that disciple. And John talks about the origin of Jesus. He talks about that Jesus is divine. Not only loving, but he's divine. How many know we need hope? We need love in this dark world. How many would say amen to that? And so what I'm trying to tell you is that the depictions of Jesus, many times we get locked into one. We say, oh, no, he's only full of love. No, he's also one of action and one of miracles. Can you say amen? And he's also one of truth. So we can't just say it's one angle. And so this is what I want us to realize, that Jesus personifies the word of God. And what do I mean by that? If you are in legal trouble, you don't need someone to give you a law book. You need a lawyer. Am I right? If you are sick, you don't need someone to give you a medical book. You need a doctor. So when it comes to the word of God today, Jesus personifies the principles of the word of God. He is, he is God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. He came to this earth. He's the incarnation, can you say amen, of God in the flesh. So I want to tell you here today that this is the angle that I want to look at today is that Jesus, two words, is full of grace and true and many times it doesn't make sense it's like beauty and the beast 
It's like oil and water. That's how this word, and when we think of grace, how many thank God for his grace? When we think of grace, think of this. If you can fathom, and I don't think we can fathom, the grace of God is God's unmerited favor that we don't deserve. That no matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've thought, that, that God's grace can meet you where you're at right now. You don't deserve it. You don't earn it. But thank God he's given it to us. And grace... It's God's benevolence, his love, his mercy, and the grace. The Bible talks about it's the manifold grace of God. In other words, it has many facets to it. His grace, he's willing to forgive us when we don't deserve it. He's willing to bless us abundantly and beyond. The grace forgives us. It empowers us. It changes us. And if it doesn't cause some tears to come to your eyes, you don't understand the grace of Almighty God. Oh, I'm telling you today, if you're not thankful, you don't know grace. If you're not praising God, you don't understand grace today. And so no matter where you've been, no matter how far you've been, God can still reach you. That Jesus was willing to go to hell that you didn't deserve so that you could receive heaven that today you didn't earn. Can you say amen? Something about the grace of God, it's unmerited favor. It's lavished upon us. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we could boldly approach the throne of grace to receive mercy, amen, in kind of need. So how many appreciate that song, Amazing Grace? Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wreck like me. But, how many know our butt always gets in the way, right? But when you're relaxing and you're basking in the grace, then you got truth. And truth is a holy standard so high that there ain't nobody in here that could reach it. Truth and holiness. That on your best day of righteousness, your righteousness is still like filthy rag before God. So how in the world can you have grace and you have truth? So here's the thing. We not just need grace. We need truth. Because truth, why? Sets people free. Am I right? I said truth sets people free. But here's the honest truth. Here's the thing about truth. Truth will tick you off before it gets you free. Because a lot of us would say, man, just give me the truth, nothing but the truth, uh, as long as it doesn't expose anything in my life. Yeah, give me the truth, as long as you don't point something out that needs some changing in my life. Let me just tell you, truth is the pill that everyone wants to give out, but no one wants to swallow it. Am I right? And so when we think about truth today, truth hurts, but its grace is wonderful. Truth hurts, but grace is ability today to give us that truth that we all need to hear. Grace and truth, even though it may seem they're opposite of each other, they go together. How many know there's some words sometimes that we call paradox, they don't make sense, but yet they do. Think about the word bittersweet. How does that go together? Bitter and you're sweet, right? You know, driveway. You're driving away, but you don't drive anywhere. You park in a driveway, right? Doesn't make sense, right? Jumbo shrimp, how did it jumbo and how did it shrimp? How is that? Doesn't come together. 
See, they don't seem to make sense, but yet they do. Am I right? And it's the same thing with grace and truth. They don't seem to go together because there is this friction and this stress, but yet it is. And most of us, listen to me, we tend to lean on either side. Sometimes you're full of grace and sometimes you're full of truth. It all depends how convenient it is for you. Oh, when, you, when you're wrong and you're doing wrong, you say, I, I just want grace. Where's the grace? Where's the grace? Oh, yeah, now you're talking grace now, huh? Because you're in the wrong and you don't want truth to expose things in your life. Oh, but when things are going good for you, oh, it's nothing but truth. Oh, I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe. Oh, yeah, you're full of truth now. It's all convenient for you now. See, we lean on either side. See, you got the grace people. Man, when you're walking with grace, you want to hug it out. You want to love it out. Grace, grace all over the place, uh, you know, in your face, in your space. Man, I just, man, why, why can't we just all get along, right? Uh, you're, you're, man, when you're full of grace, everything uh, is so good. You have a smile on your face. You want all of this stuff. But then what happens, listen to me, in an effort to show grace, sometimes we lower the standard of truth. Now, I'm not saying grace is bad. But if you're just leaning totally on grace, then you begin to lower the standard of truth, and we used to call it cheap grace, where it's a license to sin grace. It's basically, we we used to call it greasy grace, or loosey-goosey grace, where you could just do whatever you want. Oh, I'm under grace. Hey, man, why are you doing that? Oh, grace, brother. Grace, where's the grace? You know, when they're doing wrong, they all want grace, right? Then you got the truth people. And the truth people, man, they like to tell like it is. Am I right? They, they, they're not afraid of anybody. Truth people, they want to slap you in the face with truth. They're the ones, can I give you just an example? They're the ones that the moment you post something that is controversial on Facebook or Instagram, they never like any of your posts. But the moment you do something that they don't like, they're going to put truth on you. They want to slap you with truth. They want to straighten you out with truth. They want to make sure. And these truth people, man, they're so busy boasting the truth and pointing their finger, yet they forget they're going to need the grace they refuse to give one day. See, you're going to hang so much on truth that I'm going to tell you, you don't realize one day you're going to need the grace you refuse to give. This is why the Bible says Jesus came full of grace and what? And true. Listen to me, because grace without truth is no longer grace. And truth without grace crushes people and it ceases to be true. So grace without truth, listen to me, is meaningless. And truth without grace is just mean. But grace and truth is medicine. We need both. And can I just be honest with you? As long as you come to this church, you're going to hear grace and truth. You're not just going to hear one side. We're going to love you. We're going to show compassion, but we're going to give you truth at the same time. It's demonstrated in this story, this woman that was caught in adultery. The truth was she was in sin. The law revealed her guilt, but love revealed God's grace. The law revealed our guilt, but God's love revealed his grace to us. Jesus, listen to me, is the totality of grace and truth. 
It brings healing, especially truth. It brings, uh, uh, exposes things that need to be changed. And you need to have both of them, even though it may seem like a friction. Friend, I believe we need to have grace and truth together. We need to be a church full of grace and truth. There was decades ago, I don't know if you know this, about the Jesus movement. Jesus movement was uh, late 60s, early 70s, where many of the hippies started, uh, God started saving them. And they were coming to the church, and many churches closed their doors because, you know, they, they, they didn't have suits on, they didn't have nice clothes on, they had dirty jeans, and, and some of them, you know, they were barefooted and had long hair. And, and the church, their standard was, oh, wait a minute, hold on, you know, you, you can't come in like that. And so they had this religious morality rather than God's word of grace. Can you say amen? And see, when other churches said, let them in, we love them. And then we'll tell them the truth to transform them. Can you say amen? We believe that today, that grace and truth go together. Showing grace when it's needed. Can you say amen? Amen. And truth when you have to. Not 50% grace and 50% truth. 100% grace and 100% truth. See, the message of God's word, the message of the gospel travels on the wings of truth or grace and truth. You need both of them. How many know a plane don't just fly on one wing? You need both. And you got to have grace and truth working together in order to fly. It's like, it's like a violin. If you ever played a violin or you know someone that plays a violin or some kind of an instrument, if you're not careful, grace would be when the, when the strings are too loose, you're not going to get any kind of sound. When the strings are too tight, you're going to bust it. It's going to break. But when you have that violin or that guitar really tuned and just right, it plays some harmony and beautiful music. You know what the world needs? The world needs to hear harmony. The world needs to hear grace and truth from the church. Can you say amen? And so Jesus displayed this grace and this truth. And today, I believe as the church, I believe as the people of God, we need to function as people of grace and truth. That is the value that I want our church to have, that we're not just going to show grace, but we're going to also speak truth. That we're not just going to say, hey, don't worry, just do what you want to do. No, no. We're going to say, yes, God loves you, but he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He wants to change your life. Can you say amen? And so when we go back to this story, the Bible said that Jesus was drawing all of these people from different places. I mean, these people, uh, in fact, the religious people, they were mad because there were tax collectors that were drawn to Jesus. There were prostitutes that were drawn to Jesus. Uh, There was the down and out people that were drawn to Jesus. Uh, And all of these people wanted to hang out with Jesus. He was drawing people tore up from the floor up. Can you say amen? And we need to ask ourselves as the church if we're not attracting these types of people that Jesus was attracting, are we preaching the same gospel that Jesus was preaching? When a church isn't drawing those kind of people, then it's probably not preaching the gospel Jesus is preaching. Jesus drew all of these different people 
and yet he was able to tell them the grace and the truth. Look at what it says here in John chapter 8, and we're going to go back here real quick, and I'm going to try to close it up real quick. These, these prideful teachers, these prideful religious people that had caught this woman in the middle of adultery, they bring her to Jesus. They're all gathered there. And the Bible says, uh, they asked Jesus, what, do you, what, what would you say? What, what should we do? And I love Jesus because Jesus didn't even answer them. He just kind of ignored them. And he began to write on the floor. He's there writing. He's writing. There, and they're saying, Jesus, hey. Hello, Jesus. What do we do? And Jesus is right on the floor. Many scholars believe, and nobody really knows exactly what he was writing, but many scholars believe he was writing some of their sin down. Like liar, right? Like gossiper, lust. You know, whatever he was writing down, we don't know. I'm just kind of giving you an example. And, and the Bible says that he was writing there, then he kind of got up and he said, hey, I love this. All of us know this. He that is without sin cast the first stone. Then he went back down and started writing again. And the Bible says from the eldest to the youngest, they turned away and walked away. Why from the eldest to the youngest? Because maybe those that have been around a while, they, they started saying, I know where this is going. <laughs> he, he hasn't got to my sin yet, but I... He's starting to write some more stuff down. And I know exactly where this is going. Come on. So the Bible says, they said, I'm out of here, man. I'm out of here. And so then Jesus looks around and he looks at this woman. He goes, woman, where, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? Where are all these guys that had all these stones in their hand ready to kill you? ready to stone you to death. Where are these guys? And he goes, they're not here, Lord. They're not here. And he said, neither do I condemn you. How many know that's grace right there? I mean, that, that is grace. He said, neither do I condemn you. But then, listen to, to this. He didn't just let her walk away. He didn't just give her grace. But then listen, he gives her some truth. He says, go and sin no more. I gave you grace. I forgave you. I didn't condemn you. But stop doing what you were doing. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, hey, you know what? Go ahead, go back to what you're doing. It's no problem. No, he didn't say that. Go back to the lifestyle you were doing. Yeah, go back to the same thing you were doing. Go, go back and do the old stuff. No. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Another version says, go now. In other words, he said, go now. Not tomorrow. Go right now. Another version says, go right now and walk in the freedom. He said, you can be free. Go and sin no more. And this is exactly what you and I need to comprehend. That God gives us grace he forgives us. He's not out to condemn you. He's not out to destroy you. He's out to give you compassion. But he's also here to show you truth. Yes. Stop walking the way you were walking in. Stop going in that direction. Because Jesus is not just saying truth. He is the truth. How many believe that? He is the truth. In fact, Jesus says he is the way, the truth, 
and the life. So I want us to pray. I'm going to pray over your life right now. If you just bow your head for just a moment. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.